Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, we have a wet-hot American summer at sleepaway camp. Thomas and Thomas Mariano will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and eat shit and live. And I'm Thomas Mariani, and you smell like burger. I don't like you anymore. Yeah, that's fair. I do, generally. <laughs> I do, and I get it. Uh, but yes, welcome everybody to Devil Edge Devil Bill, where uh, every week we talk about a good and a bad movie related to a topic. And uh, this week, you know, it's uh, you know late June, we're in the middle of the summer, so we figured uh, it'd be fun to do an episode all about a summer camp adjacent films, but we had our patrons vote between two particular choices of summer camp horror movies and then the ultimate winner, which is summer camp comedies, though... It's interesting, Adam, when we ended up getting this as a particular topic, it was a bit hard to kind of navigate in terms of, like, both good and especially bad that we wanted to actually cover for the show. Oh, yeah, bad is abysmal to try to find one that's worth talking about. Let's put it that way. There's plenty out there. Yeah. But are any of them even worth it? Like, you know, a big one that a lot of people bring up is, like, Daddy Day Camp. A lot of reasons to not talk about that movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mainly, uh, and also it's terrible. And it's just boring. There's nothing to talk about. It's just a formulaic piece of shit movie. Right. And it's a trouble with especially comedies, obviously, because when we've talked about it many times, a bad comedy is the worst kind of movie to, to like really watch or talk about. Because it's just like, it wasn't fucking funny. I didn't laugh that much. Listen to us talk about movie 43. And you'll get what we're saying. Well, even though we talked a lot about it in terms of just describing it in extreme yeah. detail, <laughs> that's the only way we could really talk about it. But but yeah, with the summer camp comedy genre, it's also interesting because like that was a genre that like there had been summer camp related comedies in like you know earlier than like the seventies or eighties with stuff like The Parent Trap, the original stuff like that. But it really boomed with after like Meatballs. Meatballs was like the first big like part of that like big wave of like eighties comedies, and there were so many. Meatballs ripoffs and even sequels to Meatballs that were just trying to emulate that. Like, oh, it's a wild ride at camp. And um, that, you know, is a genre that has obviously a lot of issues to it in terms of sometimes that shit uh, doesn't age particularly well. I.e. all of Meatballs. Yeah, we might talk about Meatballs a bit later, put a pin in that. But um, well, you kind of came up with the idea of like doing the split between horror and comedy. Oh, how do you feel about summer camp comedies in general, though, Adam? You know, it's it's not necessarily like a genre I'm super beholden to, but it is definitely an identifiable genre, uh, subgenre. I grew up in the era where they were getting pretty big, things like that. So it's kind of something I've always remembered. I never went to camp as a kid, but I was always like, oh man, if I did, I can't think of the hijinks that I'd be able to get into and stuff like that. Like, I, I think it's definitely a uh, subgenre that's earned its place, but ran its course. I was vaguely aware of all this stuff, and I did actually go to summer camp a couple times um, in my youth, uh, mostly, though, church camps, so it wasn't as, at least, overtly salacious. There were plenty of times where, like, I was, like, the goody-good kid 
So if people were like off doing other stuff, just like, oh, I don't know, guys. I don't know if we should do that. Um, but, but at the same time, like there were still fun elements to it. Like I remember in one of the ones that for my youth, Heavyweights, I uh, had the whole thing with like the blob, which was like the big like inflated thing that you would jump into like the river with. We had that at our church camp and there were certain other things like that that made it like, you know, a fun time, even though those also like those experiences kind of made me realize like I'm not an outdoors kid. Shockingly, from a guy who records a podcast, uh, not a kid that went outdoors a lot. And uh, those experiences were just like, yeah, fuck mosquitoes and bugs and fucking going outdoors and skinning my knees and bullshit like that. Not a big fan of it. But in a summer camp comedy setting, that can be really enjoyable and endearing in the right hands. Uh, though those hands aren't often at the wheel of movies like that. <laughs> you know, the thing about them is, as I'm sure we'll talk about, and I argue one of our movies really parodies it in a way that they, they tend to just be really like sex romp comedies in a way. And it's, when you think about the subject material, I mean, it's kids. It's always just kind of gross. Yeah, it's either like teenage counselors or they're around children. So how often that like kind of is weird to the point where, like you mentioned, our good pick is more of a parody of those kind of movies. And our bad pick is technically more of like the other option that uh, the patrons didn't end up voting for ultimately of, of horror at a summer camp, though it yields a lot of unintentionally comedic gold as we'll talk about, because uh, we uh, did our picking at the end of last week, and we end up with your good pick of Wet Hot American Summer, and we end up with my bad pick of Sleepaway Camp, which we'll have so much to talk about with both of those, but let's start off with Wet Hot American Summer. This summer, take a trip back to 1981 with the special people who made summer camp unforgettable. <laughs> The camp director. Four campers are stuck in the ropes course. I meant to tell you about that yesterday. Could you get to it now? The counselors. Wait for me, Abby Bernstein. Wait, wait, wait. What? That's when they got my shirt. The kitchen staff. Finish up the taters. I'm going to go fondle my sweaters. <laughs> Come on, what? You said you were going to go fondle your sweaters. No, I didn't. And of course, who can forget the sacks, the muggies, the cover-ups, the malaria. And the friendships that last a lifetime. Janine Garofalo, David Hyde Pierce, Paul Rudd, Christopher Maloney, and Molly Shannon. Wet, hot American summer. So Wet Hot American Summer uh, came out July 27th, 2001 from uh, director David Wayne, uh, who co-wrote with Michael Showalter, who was one of many people in this cast and uh it's interesting because those two were part of originally the uh mtv sketch comedy show the state which is so fascinating in terms of just like a it all a big starting off point for a bunch of big comedic talents where it's like a lot of the people that would uh later go on to do um like stella like him michael showalter michael ian black are part of the cast but also a lot of the reno 911 people started off on that show um and uh you know a lot of uh comedic talents kind of came to them were fans of them to the degree that this cast is astonishing by modern terms like we've got janine garofalo david hyde pierce molly shannon so people who are more established but then a young paul rudd Bradley Cooper, before he was ever around for Oscars. Oh, uh, Amy Poehler. Elizabeth Banks. Joe Latruglio. It's Christopher Maloney. I mean, the cast is, it's, it's kind of an insane cast. 
It truly is. And I think because of that cast is the movie you end up with. Yes, because uh, if you're unaware, this is basically like, a, as you mentioned, a parody of a lot of those kind of like summer camp comedy movies where it's about all these uh, these counselors who are supposed to be allegedly like 16 or so, but obviously they're all like in their mid-20s. Oh, the oh if, if even that. <laughs> so I argue some were easily in their 30s. Right, right. Um, and they all are like, it's the last day of camp. So they all have various different activities. And I love that David Wayne kind of described what they wanted to do as like a comedic version of like Nashville, where they have various different like storylines that are going on that all culminate by the end of it. And that's what happens because you got like, you know, Molly Shannon's off doing arts and crafts and dealing with her marriage falling apart. Uh, You got Michael Showalter kind of being the main kind of, uh, you know, awkward kid who's trying to get with the hot counselor played by Marguerite Monroe, but she's too busy with the bad boy played by Paul Rudd, and all and various other storylines that all revolve around uh, this camp on their last day. And uh, this was your good choice, Adam. So, uh, you know, what are your initial thoughts on What Hot American Summer? I alluded to when I picked it that it's not one that I've ever been, like, crazy about. I've always realized, I guess, sort of the love for it and everything, but... I just never got into it. I don't know something about it. So it, it might like my wife really loves it. I know a couple people who really love it and I just never really gave it a fair shake. So going into it this time, I tried to go into it as fresh as I could and I still have some issues with it, uh, but it's just, it's so insane. The whole movie is like this weird fever dream. There's so many slapsticky bits that have nothing to do with the next bit at all like yeah there's a thoroughline story in there but it's such just a bunch of disconnected weird crazy thoughts and shenanigans that go on that i just kind of found the whole thing nauseatingly charming it's like the whole movie i'm going what are the why like what is happening here but i kind of love it for that yeah, it was definitely a movie that, like, when it came out, even it got a lot of, like, negative reviews kind of in that camp of, like, what even is this? What's going on with this movie? It was definitely a movie that did not do very well when it was released theatrically, but is one of those, like, big comedy, like, home video hits. It, like, just spread around so much, like, with the either VHS or especially DVD. Like, oh my god, you gotta watch this unrated gem or whatever. And became a real cult classic in the way that, like, those sort of start of the millennium movies really were. And I think it's one of the better examples of, like, when you get people who are more adept to like sketch comedy, like these people were doing a theatrical movie, oftentimes it just like really falls apart. It doesn't work very well. It, it feels like so like there, it is like sketches trying to become a story, but this movie does the ingenious thing of just like, okay, we'll do the loosest possible story of last day at camp. A bunch of people are off doing like separate things or whatever. And that's a perfect vehicle to have sketchy style stuff, but at the same time make it into like really funny running jokes and like go back and forth and edit between the different storylines. And I would largely say, like, I think this movie's very funny. I've always really enjoyed it. There's like a couple of the comedic bits that I'm not as huge on necessarily, but it's one of those great kitchen sink comedies where if you don't like a joke, don't worry. In fucking like two minutes, you're going to get another bizarre, weird joke <laughs> that's going to make you at least like say, oh, what the fuck is this? This is weird kind of fun thing to it. Absolutely, because there are several jokes in this that I'm like, ah, but then like just the most random shit will happen that one in particular that I just lost my shit because it's so just random and matter of fact. It's after Ken Marino drops off Joe Lou Trulio and the other kids. He's driving the van and he's singing. His eyes are completely on the road. He's paying attention to it. It all of a sudden, you know, oh, fuck, and it hits a giant tree. did he not see that coming? You know what I mean? Like, it's just so fucking funny to me. 
There's stuff like that, and I also love like how they have that whole storyline where like Joe Trulli was off with the kids like on the raft, and it's like, oh fuck, I gotta leave, and I'm gonna get him. Don't worry, I'll be right back. And then they go for a while where they're having like a chase scene, all these other storylines happen, and then like it's within like 15 minutes of the movie ending, they're like, oh my god, we gotta save the kids from going over the waterfall, and it cuts, and the kids are about to go over the waterfall. <laughs> yep. yep. But. I mean, for me, the stuff that makes me lose my shit, and I think it's, this is the movie that made fucking Paul Rudd such a comedic superstar, where, like, the whole scene where he's in the lunchroom, and he just smacks his food away, and Junior Gruffle's like, are you gonna pick that up? And his fucking whole, like, whining, like, oh. Like a toddler. Yeah, like a toddler. His body language, this is, like, such a great physical comedy performance. Just literally. Pick it up one piece at a time. Drops like a piece of food. <laughs> I love that he doesn't even pick up the food. He just picks up the silverware and the yeah. plate, and then even then he just throws it on the table. Like, Ugh. and the gives her like a gives her like a is that enough? Shrug. <laughs> so all, but even like all the faces that dude fucking makes throughout this whole movie are spectacular. His his kissing is so fucking funny. It's so over the top and gross. Right, anytime he's with Elizabeth Banks, particularly when he's doing his lifeguard duty and he's looking at Elizabeth Banks and he has that weird duck face lip, like, yeah, come on. (laughs) (laughs) So good. It's so phenomenal. He's like, he is the MVP of this movie to me, but everyone else is like so committed. Even, like I mentioned, fucking future Academy Award nominee Bradley Cooper, very game to just do silly weird shit. He's like so fun. Like all the stuff with him and Michael Ian Black, which I love how they have the elements where the campers are being like homophobic. The other ones are just like, oh man, he's he's probably gay using some F slurs and whatnot. But then their relationship is genuinely very sweet and tender. And they like have the little marriage ceremony. And it's like, oh no, he's gay. He's, he's like with him? I can't believe it. What? Oh, we gotta do something really bad. And then later on at the lunch, we're just like, hey, guess what? We bought you a credenza. <laughs> they bring it in. It's so stupid. <laughs> and see, that was the part that I was worried wasn't going to hold up. And mm-hmm. because I hadn't seen it forever, and I watched it, I was like, oh, no, they treat it like as a joke, but in a very earnest, um, sort of respectful fashion. The joke at all is not on, like, the gay couple, actually. Being, no, like, the, it's every about support how and they love everybody each else other. reacts to it. Exactly. It's so fucking funny. It's a parody of, like, a lot of those, you know, comedies from that era would have terrible dated jokes like that about, like, you know, gay couples and shit like that. It would be, like, disastrous. And then they just do a perfect parody. Like, that's the thing is, it's so rare to parody a comedy, but this movie does such a great job of parodying, like, that genre. But even, like, the whole thing where they're gonna do the baseball game, and it's just like, yeah, we're gonna win it, and we're gonna beat the other team they've been winning for so long, but we're gonna do it, we're gonna win. And the kids are like, ah, that seems kind of trite. Should we really do that? Yeah, you're right. And the bus comes over, just like, yeah, we're not gonna do it. They say it's trite. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And they leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, there's so many great moments. I mean, like I said, the, of course, the oh fuck scene, but then the chase after with the hay bale. Yes, like he can't get around the hay bale. You know, like, it's so ridiculous. And you know, Maloney's whole bit where he'll say something totally weird, and then people question him about it. I mean, it's an act you've seen a hundred times, but that's the one thing about Maloney in this. He is playing this weird, like food sex obsessed chef at this camp completely straight yes in comparison to everybody else like paul rudd and everybody who's going a little bit over the board he's almost intimidating 
Right, he's using his sort of, like, traditional dramatic acting chops mm-hmm. you would see on, like, the fucking cop shows or whatever to play this guy who wants to, like, hump a fucking refrigerator. Uh, wants and to talks, fuck a fridge, yeah. Right, and talks to his sentient can of vegetables voiced by H. John Benjamin, of course. Yep, yep, it's so fucking funny. You know, and that's the thing, it reminds me of, even with, you know, a lot of people don't even realize it, but Maloney's Freak Show and Harold and Kumar, the first one. Yes. You know, and he's so fucking funny in that. Like, I always forget the chops that he has as far as comedic stuff. And this one just made me remember it so much. But, the, you know, another thing is, too, I love the movie Role Models, which is also David Wayne, of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm watching this movie. And I'm like, oh, that's that's Gary in Role Models. Oh, that's him in Role Models. It's like everybody. Everybody. Yeah. It's David Wayne has that troop of guys who will just stay with him. Yeah, like a lot of people who had graduated, like I said, from like State or Stella. That was funny. Like I was, I had wasn't as familiar with those, so I watched a bunch of clips. Like the State, I remember the State was MTV, right? Yeah, that was MTV, and like I said, they had a lot of like like Thomas Lennon and Ben Garrett as well before they did the nine one one. But the Stella was like it's just like David Wayne, Michael Ian Black, and Michael Showalter. They like they did them a lot as like sort of shorts that would like air initially like um on the on the internet and then they eventually got a comedy central show but the old shorts there's a one where they do like a dumb yoga class thing and the other two patrons are elizabeth banks and bradley cooper and this was before without american summer <laughs> so he, they utilize all those people that they've had for a while and they carry them over and you know they are always very committed particularly like with the you know the, the chasing that you were mentioning earlier what i love about something like that with a stupid hay bale bit is it's dumb comedy done so smart like these people are incredibly intelligent about like let's shoot this in a way that looks almost like cinematic and make it like this big suspenseful sequence over him not being able to go over fucking hay barrel (laughs) right absolutely and then when the chase culminates at nighttime you know joe luchulio when he comes tearing ass into the camp and it's so obviously a stunt double and they make no attempt to try to hide the fact and he's doing like 360s and all this shit. And then it stops and it's just stupid little Joe Lutrulio. It's so funny to me because, yeah, you, there's movies where you can pick out, you're like, oh, that's a stunt double. Like I'm, But they are making no bones about it. Like, clearly, this is a stunt double. It's so funny to me. And I just, I love, like you said, that stupid comedy done smartly. Yeah. And, like, it's all around. Like, I love also Gene Garofalo is just, like, the completely socially inept uh, mm-hmm. Camp director is so fun with stuff like, um, oh, you know, I want to impress David Hyde Pierce. What should I do? It's just like, uh, I don't know, maybe wear like a nice dress. Oh shit, you're good. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. just that yeah. impressed by something that simple. It's so fucking funny. And I think like there's also like all sorts of other things with like uh, I love well, the, the montage the, that happens oh, when they go say, to town. Yes, it was good to get away, even if it was just for an hour. The like, guy snatches the old lady's purse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the dude coke, then it becomes crack, and then heroin. And it's just, this is insanity. And then, yeah, it was an hour long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shout out! I love like of the people who I think are underrated. Like uh, Zach Orth is the guy who plays JJ, like the big boisterous camp dude who is like so fucking funny every time he does like something silly like that, like the stealing the purse, or yeah, he's one of the guys so with good. like the credenza or whatever. Like everybody, like there's no like small part, basically. Everyone does such a great, even like the, the whole montage that happens later with like Michael Showalter and Christopher Maloney about like, they're doing either like a running montage, but also a dance training montage. And mm-hmm. like they're doing five different montages at once. Like it's a movie that knows like, once again, this sub genre, but it's also just like, let's just do random weird shit. And most of it, I would say sticks. Is there anything that doesn't, Sick that well to you? I think Michael Showalter is the weak link of the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't like him. 
it, it's it's might be the way he delivers his lines. Word, but I will say, when he's the talent show host, I think he's hilarious. Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely hilarious. But as the normal kid, I just I find him almost, even though obviously it's a point of parody, but I find it so aggressively whiny and depressed where it's like it turns me off a little bit. Um, yeah, I think you know, I guess of like the main characters, like he doesn't have necessarily as much funny stuff to do in that particular persona. But I still think there's fun stuff, particularly when he has his makeover and he becomes the tough guy, just like, hey, I just wanted to say I'm leaving. And you don't need to bother me anymore. Like I, I stuff like that's pretty fun. But yeah, I agree. I think the the other character, the um, the old man entertainer who's the fucking host of the town show, is his funniest bits. Where oh, it's especially great. it's perfect anti comedy, which I think like it's very hit or miss for me. That kind of like oh, we're making fun of the fact this isn't very funny, but it's so stellar the way that people react to him doing the same fucking like Flintstones gags. But just like when we were doing our homework when I was a kid, we were doing our slabs, and everyone's like. <laughs> Yeah. Like dying. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so good. <laughs> it's it's so fucking good. There's some stuff obviously like even with like we mentioned like some of the more progressive things, there's some stuff that like does age weirdly. Like I would say the use of some of like the kid characters, a lot of it can be funny. I like a lot of the stuff with Molly Shannon um like trying to deal with her marriage. Uh but then where they go the extra step at the end where it's just like, Oh hey, here's my husband, and it's like we're gonna get married, it's like the what the kid who was counseling her. Yeah. I agree. So if, like, there's a few gags like that that feel like they're a bit like, okay, this hasn't aged. I get what they're going for, but it also just feels. But weird. again, I don't think it aged well at the time. I it feels like one of those jokes that just carries on a little too much. Like yeah. the fact that he's counseling her and stuff is really funny, but for them to take it that extra step, you're like, eh, it's unnecessary. Hold up as well, but it's so great seeing just all these comedic talents at such an early point where they're still just even on point, like. Fucking Amy Poehler as this fucking camp director who's just like so obsessed with like getting the play right perfectly. And it's just like, oh, by the way, you're going to see this performance of God's Well, These kids are shit. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> and, they're doing God's spell too, by the way. Which, right. And I love that too, where like they have, the, they do the whole performance. It's actually a genuinely good performance. And the moment that everyone just boos them <laughs> aggressively. <laughs> It's so good. But yeah, I also even like just on a filmmaking level, like there's clearly a cheapness to this movie, obviously, because it only costs like $1.8 million. I love that there was a whole story where Paul Rudd said, I don't even think I got paid for this movie. Like, I think they were so strapped for cash, they forgot to give me a check. The cheapness works because if you watch any of those summer camp comedies, they look about as cheap as this fucking movie does. Oh, yeah, definitely. To the degree that, like, when I was watching this movie, I almost thought for a second, did they shoot this at the same fucking camp of our other movie, Sleepaway Camp? Because it looks, like, identical. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I don't think that is the case. No, because this was in Massachusetts. The other one was in uh, New Jersey. I also think it works perfectly because this feels like it would be the last time a movie this cheap would actually be shot on film. Because we're talking 2001, and, like, if this were shot, like, only a year and a half later, it would be totally digital and not nearly work as well i would say look yeah it looks shitty and that's what makes it work i completely right. agree yeah if this thing was super polished it wouldn't work it no. is the sort of ragtag ramshackle appearance of the whole thing and that you know that this is just a passion project or labor of love for these guys is what makes it so endearing yeah look to the netflix miniseries they did which were yeah. a lot more polished and not for- very good yeah, I would say the the first one they did was at least a bit more funny because they went even further with the joke of they don't look like teenagers with like, oh, we're doing this the first day of camp and everyone's like 20 years older. <laughs> and I think there's like some funny bits in that one. The sequel one is pretty dire. There's not a lot of 
funny shit in that. I didn't watch the sequel one at all. Yeah, I didn't until recently. And it was just, especially when those are both, like, fucking eight episodes long. This is a comedy that barely sustains itself at, like, what, 95 minutes? Yeah. The original movie is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't really stretch that out much farther, because it'll just fall apart at the seams if you do it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, yeah, the miniseries, great, whatever, I get it. Like, you know, Netflix will buy anything. Um, but you don't need anything more than this. You don't need anything more that's 90 to 95 minutes. I, it, it, this weird little fucking thing, like it's barely a, a movie. It's a series of disconnected thoughts put together with a very basic last day of camp plotline. And it's, it's so crazy that that's why it works. So like you said, for them to get any polish to it and set down to, you know, anywhere between four to six hour long episodes, it just it makes it fall apart. It becomes too much. Yeah, and even with like the other David Wayne movies that he's done, like I like role models. I like like uh, they came together, which is a pretty fun one. Like the romantic comedy spoof with uh, Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler. Like I like like those movies decently, but I don't think any of them quite have like that same fun kind of like spirit of just w- random fun that this one does if you want like another looser one that i think really falls apart is something like um wanderlust one with jennifer yeah, Aston and paul yeah, Rudd. yeah i agree i think wanderlust has some good bits but for the most part yeah i agree yeah it, it falls apart a lot more and do you think that's maybe just like the weird youthful ambition that they had in this particular movie or do you think like what makes you say maybe like a role models maybe is your favorite right of his movies yeah, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. What would you say makes like maybe that or White Hot American Summer work better than like some of the other ones they would do later? Uh, more attention put on it, maybe more studio involvement, maybe you know. Let's say so we've we've talked about before, but once some of these guys who are who do smaller projects and things like that get kind of a bigger budget and get uh, it kind of a lot of times it might fail. I think a lot of these guys, their brilliance comes from what they have at their disposal, what they can make happen. And I think that's a lot of times what, what works for these guys. So it, almost when they get this, you know, a lot of bunch of locations and more money and more celebrity status and more all the, it just tends to fall apart. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of these people have gone on to do great things, especially like, I love sure. whenever someone like say Ken Marino pops up in something like he's a perfect. I, fucking, I love that guy so much. Yeah, he's such um, a he can play such a douchebag, like more than most people. Like even in role models, where he gets right in Paul Rudd's face, you know, and he's like, "Oh, well, I have you in my personal bubble here." Like it's so fucking funny, and he's so funny in this as as the Virgin is when, yes. which is great. But yeah, I love Kendra Marino. I'm not necessarily talking about the actors. I mean, because a lot of these people did go on to do big things. Obviously, Bradley Cooper, Amy Poehler, Paul Rudd, Elizabeth Banks. They're all superstars. I, I'm, I'm more or less referencing like David Wayne and those guys who, you know, not to say that I don't want them to succeed and be successful. And, and I, they are, which is great. But you're almost missing the hunger out of the movies now. Well, right, and plus, like, some of them moved on. Like, I think Michael Showalter has had a better career, especially as a very recent with stuff like The Big Sick or my name is Doris, where he's gone on to be like, let's do more like drama comedy kind of things that like have a bit more character to them, but while still having some of these funny elements at the same time. Uh, And I think that's probably the thing that like Wayne has felt a bit more lost, I think as of especially recently in like an age where comedies aren't as like profitable necessarily. And he's just like, Oh, what do I do? Oh, how about I go on the back of like my, you know, big cult success with American summer and do these like big elaborate miniseries where I can do whatever the fuck I want with a lot of money. 
And I think that it's like you said, it like really necessity is the mother of invention. Because without that, you wouldn't get stuff like, oh, how, let's let Paul do a bunch of fucking facial expressions and see what happens. And you get gold out of that. Beautiful comedy gold. Pure gold. But um, let's go ahead and do our final thoughts because we have another stellar movie to talk about. Yes, oh, we man. do. Oh, boy. So uh, your final thoughts on What American Summer? Like I said, it's crazy. This movie's crazy. It's this weird comedic fever dream of just people going for it, improv and being nutcases. And you just got to go along for the ride. And I think you said it best. Like, if there's a bit you don't like, just wait a minute. There's at best five minutes. You're bound to get one one of the jokes that happens in five minutes, and you're about to find it funny. Um, if not, then uh, you know maybe you're not into comedy because uh, this movie is wacky. It's just, and I hate using that term. Oh, look how wacky! But it is that. It's just this weird, crazy, wacky movie, and uh, for all of its faults and limitations, it, it kind of serves it even more uh it's just it's a special little thing what these guys sort of excelled at to me is that like there is that wackiness but it isn't like they don't have that same tone of just like oh we're going wacky we're trying really hard to make you like laugh look at we're doing like clown shit they're just like very naturally wacky in a way that almost feels like nonchalant like they're throwing off bizarre weird shit which makes it even funnier stuff like when they're doing the whole thing about like oh let's meet back up here in 10 years yeah uh, when you want to meet up like at 9 30 um yeah i think 9 30 because i have something at 11 i can't I have, i'm not gonna push that <laughs> whenever for something fucking 10 year later bullshit like they they toss off bizarre bullshit like that and make it so casual and that's i think the big strength of this movie is very casually naturally bizarre and weird and consistently very fun but adam it's time we talk about another very special, very scrappy little movie, Sleepaway Camp. Dear Mom and Dad, I've been at a sleepaway camp for almost three weeks, and I'm getting very scared. Welcome to Sleepaway Camp. Someone is watching you. Someone is waiting for you. Someone wants to scare you to death. Sleep away, camp. You won't be coming home. So, Sleepaway Camp uh, came out November 18th, 1983, from writer-director Robert Hiltzik. This was his first film, and shocker, uh, his last one for a while until he returned for the fourth film in the Sleepaway Camp franchise. Shockingly, he didn't have (laughs) a huge cure necessarily. But uh, Sleepaway Camp is very much, uh, one, it's a horror film, so obviously, skirting the rules a bit with the summer camp comedy element of it. A very small, little scrappy, independent movie to try and kind of ape on the success of Friday the 13th. Uh, only cost $350,000 and made $11 million, so quite successful considering that small budget. Um, and this movie has a lot of infamy to it, mainly based around the ending, which maybe we should just address directly now. Um, is a very loaded ending, has a lot of yeah problematic elements to it, uh, especially in modern parlance but that was like such a bizarre ending that i was aware of before i saw this movie like a couple years ago like that was the infamous thing about it and we'll go into more detail i guess as we go along but what i love so much about this movie is like 
from minute one, it is making baffling, bizarre, unsanctioned decisions that, like, make this, like, the, the ending just, like, one of many bizarre things to the degree that, despite being much more straight-laced as, like, a horror, like, slasher film in its attempts, uh, is very consistently, unintentionally hysterical. This is a great so bad it's good movie to me. Would you agree with that, Adam? I mean, absolutely. Uh, I I fucking love this movie. And I understand and I can appreciate for all its faults and things that are wrong with it, because there is a lot. But there is so much just earnest charm here where they were really trying to make something. And you could see it all over the place. And it makes it that much better and that much more charming. I mean, dude, like you said, from the opening couple minutes where you got the boat scene where that little girl is just hysterically screaming and crying through the There's a boat! No, there's kids in the water! Oh my god, there's a kid in the water! (laughs) But then it it just cuts to exit all outside ambience, all outside noise, and you get John. (laughs) And then it cuts again. And I'll never forget the first time I saw that. I was like, what the fuck is this? Okay, like, yeah, just, just for if you're unaware, folks, like the opening of this movie, like after it has like a sweeping shot for some reason of like the camp closed, then it cuts to several years earlier where we have two kids and their dad on a little pontoon boat and, and they're out having fun. Buddy, right? Their dad's buddy who's just like, hey, the doc's coming. So it's a weird thing where it's like, are you talking about a doctor or are you talking about the dad's wife or who are you talking about? There's a weird, bizarre implications of that. And at the same time, there's three teenagers, one of which is on the skis in the back, and the other two are driving the boat who are just like, oh, hey, I guess we can go ahead and uh, let you drive for a bit. I don't know, just, you know, I might lose my job, but why don't you just chill out? And then they have like the scene where they decapitate the, at least one of the kids. Yeah, they do decapitate the kid. And that's where you get John. John, yes, but <laughs> then it cuts to my favorite character in fiction. The ant? I love the ant so much. out of her mind. Okay, because the thing is, after this happens, uh, with this set of like, oh, one of the kids died, then they cut over and it's established that um, the aunt has t- is taking care of the daughter who survived, at least what's revealed initially, is the daughter who right. survived, and like she's been living with them and hanging out with, with uh, the, her cousin. Ricky. Ricky, played by Jonathan Tiersten, who we'll oh, talk boy. about as well. There's a lot of that. But their aunts, like, they're, they're two, like, regular kids who are just like, oh, we're going to go off to camp or whatever. Angela's a bit shy, and he's a bit more of the outgoing kid. And then their aunt comes in, like, she's a fucking character out of, like, a 30s movie and dressed up like she's a Dr. Seuss character. And, yeah, and picture, like, <laughs> looks-wise, like if she was Zoe Dashnell in Round Doll's Witches. Yes, that, I think she she could be one of the witches, like, in their disguises yeah. or whatnot. Because she comes in and she's just like, oh, I can't believe we're all going off to camp. Isn't that so great? Here, I packed you a lunch. And he's like, are there any chips in there? Oh, yeah, I believe there's a whole bag. I'm just like, who the fuck is this? What's going on? No, that won't do. Hmm. No. no, that won't do at all. My favorite. She does these weird asides. Like she's like, that wouldn't do at all. Now, where did I put my bag? I put mm-hmm. a string around my finger. <laughs> like what? What the fuck is happening here? She's wearing <laughs> bright blues and red berets, and like, and her beret looks like it's a cat in the hat string. Dude, the, the who's live under that thing. and she's just like oh, here your physicals. Don't tell them how you got those. Yeah, which is also crazy, right? Um, but then it's like, once they get to camp, 
it, it, you get sort of like where Ricky used to be like the tough, cool kid at camp, but maybe now right. he's being outshined. And then, you know, it gets to, which I think might even be a little bit more problematic than the ending. Because I'd argue, of course, the ending is is what it is. But I know what you're talking about with at least like the, the, the most lascivious, creepy elements. Yeah, there's the cook who like watches these kids come in and says like, oh, I love fresh meat. And all this is like, he's clearly a pedophile who wants to like yeah. sexually assault these kids. Yeah, he tries. And he tries to. And it's very upsetting. But it's even more upsetting where the other cooks, like he openly talks about this. And the other cooks are just kind of nonchalant, particularly Robert Earl Jones father of james he's like oh man those kids don't even know what you're talking about like uh yeah i'd like i don't even want, i don't even want to say the term the cook uses for him no i wouldn't i don't either yeah it's, it's very disgusting but like he says it and that you know uh jones is like oh, 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 oh. like no dude no report this fucking guy but then it goes even as far as like where the camp owner is involved where he's trying to date one of the campers right counselors. the counselors right yeah um by the way, Mike Kellen playing Mel, who I just love that, like, the guy who runs this New Jersey fucking camp is the most just, like, he looks like he's, like, a 40s gangster character actor. I love it. And he beats the he beats the piss out of Ricky. <laughs> right, when the deaths start happening, he thinks it's Ricky. He's just like, you son of a bitch! I know you tried to do this! It's just like, he's like a fucking 14-year-old kid. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I know. I, 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 I love half-shirt jock camp counselor. Yes. Like, hey, what's going on over here? This big muscle-bound idiot bike shorts and a fucking tube top. Oh, yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, I, yeah, I love I Ronnie because he's also, he's weirdly the most empathetic of any of the fucking counselors. He's the one who, like, gives a shit about the kids to any degree. 100%. But he's wearing these, like, fucking super tight bike shorts. And then later on, there's a point where, like, all these deaths have happened and Mel is just like, oh, I gotta close up. It's over. We're done. It's over. And he's just like, oh, why don't you finish out the summer? Dude! <laughs> No, what the fuck? no! You don't finish out the summer. <laughs> like, like three kids have died, bro. You got it. You got it. And the, the whole thing is like the kids are dying. Like, well, we gotta wait to tell the parents. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, no. You, wait a minute. What do you do with the corpses then? Like, what is happening? <laughs> well, look, they're shining them off over to uh, Officer Mustache. Who, oh yeah, yeah. Which I love. This character's introduced initially. This mustachioed cop. He's just like, oh, I guess you know, I'll, I'll come back if there's any problems. And later on, he comes back and clear that actor shaved because he has the worst marker fucking version of a mustache. It's even like it's black marker. And it's like that dude had brown hair. <laughs> it oh, I know. It's great. It's great though. <laughs> it's absolutely great. And then they try to play up on that in the fourth one. And I don't... Wait, I haven't seen any of the sequels. Which... Oh, well, the second and third one are really bad, but they're kind of fun. They're kitschy. They're in on the joke. In the yeah, I've, I've heard Pamela Springsteen, uh, yeah. the sister of Bruce, is pretty fun as mm-hmm. Angela in the other ones. But Not bad. anyway, Not bad. but anyway. but to get back to get back, yes, uh, in the middle of all this, like what they're obviously it's like a you know a summer camp slasher thing where kids are getting picked off one by one, but in between you have all the stuff with like the various campers and. There is so much fun. Like you referenced this at the top of the show, but the whole baseball scene yep. where there's it goes on, by the way, for fuck you see like the whole baseball game. For basically. fucking ever, dude. For it's so long. But then you have like fucking Ricky with the best comeback possible. I think maybe ever, right? Yeah. Eat shit and die. Eat shit and live. It's just mwah. Perfect. Mwah. It's so it's beautiful. Like, you should have ended the game there. It's like, no, you guys won. Like, there's no point in playing yeah, this no, game. Fuck. <laughs> well, there's nothing we can do about this now. 
How do you feel Phyllis Rose does in this? I mean, you can tell she's um, a young child actress who doesn't have a lot of experience necessarily. But at the same time, I think they use that weirdly to their advantage in terms of, like, kind of spoilers, everybody, for this fucking 40-year-old movie. Um, Angela is the killer. Um, but they do a lot of stuff where, like, she's just staring off into, like, nothingness. Yeah. Right. And sometimes it's very funny. Where it's just like, it's just awkward the way that she's just sitting there doing nothing. But then sometimes it is genuinely unnerving, particularly any close-ups. Yes. Where it's just like, this is fucking unsettling and weird. It's kid. weird. Yeah, right. it's yeah. weird. That's the one thing you can say about it. Like, don't be wrong, I don't think it's like a masterful performance or anything. But she's a young child actress. But it's weird. There's enough eeriness about the whole thing where it works. And I guess that's what I was going to get into. I guess. Yeah. We might as well just broach it now, yeah. where it, it ends up that Angela was actually the boy that the aunt decided to raise as a girl. Yes. We had him grow her hair out or her, however you want to. I mean, it's I, I, I wouldn't even know how to do the pronouns for this. I mean, she identifies as Angela. I would say she. But it's a forced identification? Yeah. I mean, she at least refers to herself as Angela, at least for the most part or whatever. I, I would say, yeah, right. She doesn't refer to herself as, like, what Peter was, like, the boy's name originally or whatever. Yeah. Oh, right, right. But, see, the thing is about the, the whole, at least in my opinion, the transgenderness of it all, it doesn't feel like it's the taboo thing. I think the, the reason why it's shocking is because the way it's revealed. It's super iconic, and it's it does pack a fucking punch. It's obviously done for, like, the shock value of, like, the additional twist. It's kind of like trying to, like, oh, you know, Psycho came out 20 years sure, ago. What sure. do we do? Like, we add the additional twist of it being this trans person. Like, obviously, we're not very equipped to talk about that. Shock no, 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 but we're talking about the men, movie. Right. I think we gotta right. address it. Right, that's true. I think, like, it's definitely, like, what it's trying to do is much more of, like, the shock value. Of, like, oh, this additional twist or whatever, which I'm not necessarily a fan of, like, obviously, like, the implications of the twist but i will agree that it's weird where like the ineptitude of the movie kind of works in its favor for this because the way they reveal this is that angela is like standing in the middle of like this by the docks and she has the severed head decapitated a boy yeah right who by the way is smiling for some reason i'm sure he kept that whole pose as he was being fucking beheaded that whole yeah, time sure. sure makes total sense right? oh, yeah uh, me too I would, but for a different reason, I'd be like, finally. Finally, <laughs> it's over. Um, but Angela's holding this boy's head, and her face is, like, open mouth, and she has this weird guttural noise that's coming out of her, and she's naked, fully, and it's yeah. obviously, like, a guy in a mask. I want to say, because I've watched, like, the, the full-length documentary on this, which is very good, by the way. I believe it's, like, a 20 to 22-year-old, like, uh, Filipino man that they used for it because he's smaller in stature and everything. And then they, they put that really creepy prosthetic mask on. Right. There was a mold of uh Felicity's face. It's right. terrifying. The cheapness of like the mask almost makes it look creepier because they cut between like shots of that and like shots of just like Felissa Rose, I believe her head just kind of like paused like that, which doesn't work as well. I think the mask works better. Right. I mean, I, I would agree with that, but that, I think that contrast makes it almost creepier. Yeah, it's got this weird ethereal sort of feel to it. Right. Where I, like, on a, I think on a filmmaking level, I think it's fascinating. I get why it became iconic, but also, obviously, it's like kind of othering trans people and more specific, like, oh, the reason that she's a murderer is because she she's was. trans. No, I agree. Right. But, I also, right. but I also think that the, what they do that is smartly, at least, again, we're not very equipped to talk about this, but I think that the fact that her aunt clearly is psychotic and forced these sort of things on her. Uh, explains the break. Not the fact that she's trans, is that her aunt 
totally force her to be something that she either might or might not be, but did it through sort of psychological manipulation. Yeah, but the, the, the thing is, like, regardless of, like, I agree that that ending is, like, shocking. I get why it was very popular at the same time. All the stuff I love about this movie is less to do with that and just more of like, the weird shenanigans that happened before that point. Dude, the, Le- the, the fucking curling iron kill. What? Right. Like, I, will, I will say, like, despite how inept a lot of this movie is, the kills, or at least, like, the horror sequences are very... Cons- even, like, the, the piece of shit, like, uh, awful pedophile killer who doesn't technically die but gets horribly scalded, that effect is very good. Yeah, you see it happening, the skin bubbling and boiling. All it's the blisters and well, stuff. Oh, yeah. it's very well done. Or the one kid who they find his body and, like, the snake is crawling through or whatever. Yeah, uh, the, the yeah. Dummy. Or the, Looks kid really good. The, bee, the kid with the bee stings. Yes. But what I love is just, like, all those kills are even more interesting where, like, those are very well made, but the lead-up to them is full of just stupid shit. Like, when they, before that canoe kid is found, the one counselor who's just like, oh my god, this shit's everywhere, what the fuck, what the fuck's happening? He's, like, having an aneurysm, just, like, throwing shit at him. <laughs> There's that, or or the lead-up to the, the bee kill where the kid's just like, oh, oh, I gotta take a wicked dump in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it also does it. Very poorly done. Oh, it's you. What are you doing here? Does that quite a bit. Where, you know, <laughs> like, well, it's clearly somebody. Right. My favorite example of this is they have little point, like, right before the curling iron kill, where you see, quote unquote, Angela, but it's clearly Jonathan Tiersten in a wig. Clearly Jonathan Tiersten in a wig. Clearly, this movie was not designed with home video in mind whatsoever, yes. or digital HD in particular. You yeah. can see him crystal clear. <laughs> it's so yep. fucking funny. Um, but my favorite version of this, though, is when Meg ends up dying, who is the counselor that, as you mentioned, is like attempting, like is trying to get with this creepy older fucking manager dude. It's so weird, all that, the way that's handled. But she ends up dying horribly in the shower in a really great scene of just like getting stabbed through the back. Really yeah. well done. But then. When he fucking discovers her body and his monologue he gives is one of my oh, favorite it's, fucking it's things. So good. Oh, it's so good. Nah, you man. I knew this was him. This was like a job. I'll get him back. I'll get him back. I know it's Ricky. I'll get him. That bastard. That damn bastard. You're like, yeah. Yeah, he gets on him. Like, he's like one of the monkeys who finds the fucking the rock or the log in Space Odyssey. Just hammer fists him. You'd think to death. Like, it's crazy. God, I knew it was you. Oh, no. Oh, you, you killed Meg. Like, bro, take it easy. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe not take it easy. You did find a murdered child. But on the aspect, that's a murdered child you were trying to date. So maybe take it down a notch. Or also, more importantly, just like, do you think this scrawny little fucker actually managed to do all of these elaborate murders? Well, <laughs> but to be fair. Angela did, and she was a scrawny little kid. Right, and of course, Jonathan Tiersen went off on those horrible tirades where he's cursing, which apparently got him the job, which I love. He curses like a small kid, and it's so funny every time. Like, someone throws a water balloon at Angela, and he's just like, you motherfucking pieces of shit, I'm gonna fucking kill you all the (laughs) time. No, it's great. (laughs) Which, by the way, we should should bring up about Jonathan Tiersen here. Yeah, a sidebar. This is a thing that Adam introduced me to. And I love it so much. Uh, it's, my, it's my favorite year of the world. <laughs> I just, <laughs> literally might be my favorite. I discovered Jonathan Tiersen on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, Jonathan Tiersen from Sleepaway Camp. I know him. I know who he is. I'll send him a friend request. He added me almost instantly, which is very surprising. I'm like, okay, cool. 
so he goes on these very long anti-Trump diatribes about, look what Trump has ruined for our country, and it's time for us to wake up as Americans and also people of color. It's time to take charge and, you know, stand up for yourself. And, you know, it's the dollar's only a, a cent away from bottoming out, and it's this huge, long thing. And then it's a picture of his face, like doing duck face, or without his shirt on, or holding a tennis racket. Or like, well, what, what I love is like it's it's not just like political things. My favorite one ever is one that supposedly Jonathan Tearson was in a, uh, a a party store for lack of a because I don't remember a Seven Eleven, and somebody was being rude to supposedly the Muslim cashier, and Jonathan Tearson confronted the guy. He's like, "Fuck you, man, Bob. Take it outside." And the guy's like, "I'll kick your ass." And then the guy turned around and met my gaze and knew. I would take him out of there in a body bag. And there's Jonathan Tearson without a shirt on, smiling in the picture. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, man. <laughs> you got him. <laughs> Boom, roasted. Boom, roasted. We got to post one of them. I've sent you a couple, which are my favorites. Oh, no, that's the thing. Adam and I have made just like a thing of this where like he'll send me these. And it's 90% of why I still have a Facebook account. It's just to, like, <laughs> yeah, see these. It's the best. It's, it's like, one, communicate with Adam. Two, to do, see these fucking Jonathan Tearson pics. My girlfriend wanted a picture of my face, and it's him and his nipple. And you're like, okay. <laughs> All right, man. Jesus. One of my favorite. Again, one more time. Are we slaves to the art, or is the art slaves to us? Yes. And he sat there with a tennis racket, got his arm around some dude he teaches tennis to. Just imagine, like, one of those inspirational, like, post memes that, like, your aunt posts on Facebook. Yep. But instead of, like, a tree in the background or whatever, it's the text of it, and then a picture of Jonathan Tearson just doing a duck face, like, yep. with a, like, a leaned over. sign or whatever the fuck. Yep, or, or leaned over, or holding a guitar. <laughs> or the there's best. one that I saw where it was like him almost like in a bathtub or something like that, and he's just kind of yep, like hanging out. Yeah, it's, it's it's so. And by the way, if Mr. Tearson, if you're listening, dude, we love you. No, I keep doing it. it. Keep don't even think about that. We're laughing. We love it. It genuinely cheers me up every time I see every it. time, it's every so time. Good. I absolutely love it. Please just keep being you. hundred percent. We love you so much. And you know what? I don't think anything we would we would say would dissuade him from being him. That guy is committed. No, he's he's very self-assured of himself, and that, and you can even tell that from like this movie because like I love mm-hmm. this performance because and the big thing about this movie that we haven't really talked about is the fact that unlike a lot of these other like uh, summer camp, whether horror or comedy or otherwise, most of these people are like actual kids. Like they went for like most of them are like at most like age sixteen. Yeah, I think for for any of the ones who are show nudity, they're eighteen. Like, that's as, that's as high as they went. Well, no, right, right. But, I mean, most of them are children. And I love the fact that, like, you get these weird, bizarre performances. Like we mentioned, the water skier earlier. Clearly, like, a child who's, like, maybe 12. Yeah. it's just, like, going off. Just, like. Just it, having a meltdown. Right. Having a meltdown. Or even, like, I love there's the one scene where, like, they're showing him rules of capture the flag. And it's the two counselors that are clearly, like, 15 or 16. And there's the one who's, like, trying to be very sincere. But, like, all right, everybody, we're going to play capture the flag. It's very simple. You have your flag on this side, flag on this side. So we're going to pull your flag. It'll be fine. And the one guy who's, like, has the flag in his hand and looks like he's trying to, like, look like he's eating it. Like something an actual dumb kid would do. It's really endearingly charming. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Some idiot kid would do that to get a laugh. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I will say, you know, as as much as we love him, and I, I still think I Tirsten is probably the best in the movie. He has like the most personality in a really fun way. That I really right. enjoy watching. Where, where he just like he comes I love when he goes into the school dance and he has that fucking ten gallon hat. 
the awesome. fucking cowboy hat for, it is the best. <laughs> for whatever reason. But it feels like a decision a dumb kid would make at that point. Like, yeah, this looks cool. Yeah, oh, dude, I'm so cool, this fucking hat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or even like the, 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 the two teenagers who like go up to uh, Felicia Rose and are just like, oh man, something's wrong with Angela. And there's the one guy who delivers one of my favorite lines, just like, yo, Angela, why are you so fucked up? <laughs> <laughs> Once again, something a dumb kid would say immediately without any kind of understanding of empathy or feelings. Just like such a fucking dumb bullshit thing. Fucked up. <laughs> it's like either a dumb kid or like fucking Polly Walnuts. <laughs> hey, why are you so fucked up? It feels insanely East Coast in a great way. This feels so much oh, like a movie yeah. in Jersey. It's very just, Jersey. Oh, it's very Jersey. <laughs> in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, because there's even, like, oh, we haven't talked about Judy, who I love. Oh, she, I love Judy. Who is, like, the mean girl. Yeah, she takes the curling iron death. She's playing it like she's a femme fatale from the 40s. And yep. It's so fucking funny. Shout out Karen Fields. So funny. Where, especially so the bit funny. where she's addressing uh, Felissa Rose, and she's just like, oh, well, I guess uh, you don't want to show anybody that you haven't gone through puberty yet, right? Because you're a carpenter's dream. Flies aboard in need of a screw. And it's just like, of course, I, this is a kid who has no idea what they're saying. Who yeah, is absolutely. fully committed to selling it, even though she has no idea what this means. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> hmm And her side pony is amazing. And her shirt that just says Judy on <laughs> Right, I want that shirt. I would wear that shirt. Hundred <laughs> percent. This is just Judy, not even your name. She's like, no, I want to wear no, that Judy. Judy. I want to wear a shirt that says Judy. <laughs> I bet. I bet you could buy it. If not, we should make it. I mean, look, uh, uh, shocker. It's very easy to probably make that shirt. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get on it, man. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I I agree that this. You know, like we said, even about our last movie, the certain sentence of charm due to its low budgetness and the earnestness in which it was made and that's this movie too there's two different types of sleaze in horror as far as i'm concerned especially from the era you got like maniac which is dirty sleaze like that movie's gross and dirty and you feel every minute of how gross and unnerving this is like fun sleazy like it's sleazy but it's super fun because it's so over the top crazy Right, where it feels almost like with whatever Robert Hiltzik was trying to do with this movie, it feels like less like, oh, an inept filmmaker is trying to make this movie more of an alien is trying to make a ripoff of Friday the 13th. Right, and also it feels like maybe if you turned the dial just one to two degrees to the left, you'd have a comedy. Right. You know, it's just there's so much goofy and weird characters here and just these oddball situations that it's almost a comedy it's almost a comedy right it almost feels like it's an ai generation of like you put a bunch of like summer camp horror or comedy movies into an ai generator and this is the one they write <laughs> yeah. it, it looks like one of those dolly recreations of like whatever the fuck like just like a sleepaway camp horror movie it's just like this is what it is it, it vaguely looks like that it's not quite though it's not quite human <laughs> right and then, and then somebody did that so i was like fuck it make it <laughs> Yep, 100%. Give him $350,000 no work. And, like, there are so many Friday the 13th ripoffs from that era that are so forgettable and whatever. Oh, uh, yeah, Madman. Madman is, like, the key example yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah, Prowl. Uh, oh, the, well, the Prowler at least has, like, like, the, the Tom Savini effect. Well, the, I wouldn't the bur- Well, the Burning has the Tom Savini effect, and it doesn't work. 
Right. I mean, I, I think Prowler and that one are quite frankly very similar boat of like great mm-hmm. Tom effects, not much else. Yeah. Um, as opposed to this movie doesn't have like obviously that level of special effects, but just good enough to where you're like, oh, I'm kind of impressed. And the linking material between that, which could just be the typical like, oh, hey, we're counselors and we're going to go off and have sex, forget about the kids who we don't really even see. Like Friday the 13th didn't introduce actual kids to the camp until like what? Fucking six or whatever. Uh yeah, I want to say it was six when they were all sleeping and Jason was right. Working. It's mostly just the counselors going off like, hey, let's smoke some weed and then have sex and then get killed by Jason. As opposed to this movie, just like all the linking material is just bizarre, crazy shit that like no one else would come up with. Just insane. And I agree that like it's only because like this was in a bit of a dry spell for Friday the 13th that this was able to be successful at all. Like, I can see no other t- point where it's just like, oh, there's a Friday the 13th, what do we do? Oh, let's go see Sleepaway Camp. I'm sure that'll be fun. And, uh, it, yeah, I think it's earned a certain it, bizarre cult status it, for a reason. It worked. People went and saw it. I mean, the movie made a fortune on its budget anyways. Right. Um, but when you, obviously, you mentioned, like, you, I guess you've seen the sequels, and I guess they yeah, don't recreate that same magic necessarily. No, the second and third one are too, too in on the joke. And the fourth one brings back all of the original cassettes alive. Yeah. And it's so really low budget. And it's just, they're going for the same jokes again. And it's just, it doesn't work. It's really bad. Like I, two and three, I'm not crazy about, but four is abysmal. Yeah, I guess four, because that's the one that Hilt, uh, Hilt came back yeah. for. I guess I've heard a lot of people compare it to, like, you know, Tommy was so, or other people were like, they make the, the unintentionally funny movie and then they try and do one that's like, we're in on the joke and it doesn't work. You're saying? Yeah, I agree. I think that's exactly the case. Yeah, because you can't recreate fucking magic that's in this fucking movie. Like, um, <laughs> the bit where um, we haven't mentioned much about, like, um, Angela's love interest, the young boy who, like, I love how he comes up to her at one point, like, puts his hands in front of her eyes and just like, guess who? Ricky? No. Guess again. Um, Burt Reynolds? <laughs> like, she goes from Ricky what? I mean, to Burt Reynolds. <laughs> why? Why would you think Burt Reynolds? <laughs> yeah, Burt Reynolds is hanging out there at Camp Arawak. And he's going <laughs> to have- check it out. This is bullshit. <laughs> um, I, I better loan my mustache to that cop. Yeah, yeah, oh, God. Back. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah, but that kid has the, you know, he doesn't have the voice. Well, he almost does, but he reminds me of the nerd from Simpsons, the same one. Hey, mister. Like, he looks like that he, kid. He's like squeaky voice teen right before puberty happened. Like yes, he's 100%. A, six months before he turns the squeaky voice teen, yes. Yep. Absolutely. But he almost has like a weird Anthony Michael Hall look as well. A little bit, yeah. And that's the kid who gets his head cut off. Right, and is smiling from ear to ear. Yep. After being decapitated. <laughs> oh, but Adam, we could talk about this movie for a while. Absolutely. I might I might watch it when we're done. I might rewatch it again. I mean, it's also, it's very short. It's only about 80 minutes long. And it's, it's not great. a very long movie it's whatsoever. And, it's, and it is packed to the gills with fun bits like what we're talking about. But Adam, your final thoughts, if you can sum up at all about Sleepaway Camp. I mean, like I said, I know it's, it's, it's a very poorly put together movie. It's sleazy. It's all of these things. But that's what makes it charming. And that's what makes it work on so many levels. I think Sleepaway Camp is one of my favorite 80s slasher movies. Um, that aren't tied to like the big franchises. I think it's just perfect. It's so dumb and weird and crazy, 
but it just works because of that. Uh, I, I just, I love it so much. It reminds me of, like you said, the movies where we think about when, you know, somebody who wasn't born in the States comes over here and wants to make an American movie. That's almost what this feels like. Oh, these summer camp slasher movies are great. Here's what I want to do. And they get the genuine idea down, but it's just, they populate, which is such weird, crazy decisions. And it works so well. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. It's definitely one of those movies that, you know, with a lot of the problematic things that aren't just about the ending, it can be a bit squeamish. And I understand some people like, maybe not gravitating toward it. But at the same time, the fun stuff, the weird stuff, the bizarre stuff is so worth watching for in this movie. Just the crazy, insane, weird things that once again feel like they were made not by an actual human being who knows how humans talk. This feels like it's just made by an alien who came down. It's just like, oh, I know how the humans watch Friday the 13th movies or whatever. And it's it's so charming in that way. It so has that, like, the earnest ineptitude that makes it so enjoyable from end to end. Uh, I, I totally agree that it's one of my favorites of like that kind of like rip off of Friday the 13th class of like the early slasher period. And also it's kind of weird where it's coming kind of like near the end of like the big slasher boom where despite we got plenty of slash movies throughout the 80s, but the real boom was like pretty much bookended by Halloween and then Friday the 13th Halloween part four. Because after that, you get a lot more of just, like, the also rounds, and it gets a lot more, like, it untethers. This feels like it's kind of, like, one of the last examples of, like, the weird Friday the 13th ripoffs that is a lot more fun and isn't just going for the kills. It has fun kills, but it's also just going for just weird random shit that is, like, so entertaining. In a way that I would say this and Wet Hot American Summer would make a genuinely good double feature. What a fun night that would be. Wet Hot is the first movie, and then this is the movie. Yeah, you you end with this one. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, again, and I don't want to trample on your final thoughts, but I I definitely agree with you. I think uh, this was came out near the end of it, but I think Hellraiser was kind of the bookend on those slasher movies where it's like, okay, now we're doing something completely different. I think this was the end on those summer camp sort of style, and then I think Hellraiser kind of just ended it. Well, even then, I would argue, like, getting into Hellraiser, that gets into more like the more specific supernatural elements where you get like the the weird like attempts at like, oh, let's make Friday the 13th supernatural and do even weirder that's shit true. with like Nightmare on Elm Street or whatever. I think that, that kind of actually is in a completely different wave, I think at that point. You know, you're so smart. I'm so glad I chose you as the co-host. <laughs> right. That's really, you, you came up with the show and made sure that it happened yeah, yeah. every week. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Sleepaway Camp, we Perfect. recommend it, guys. It's bizarre. Definitely. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dive into exactly. the weirdness of it, for sure. Yes. You ain't seen it. You gotta. Even though, like, we said so much, like, we can't spoil Sleepaway Camp. You have to see it for oh, yourself. Oh, no. We, we, we didn't even scratch the surface, man. We could give you beat for beat the dialogue, but until you hear these people deliver it and see it in the scenario it's being delivered, it means nothing. But we gotta get to our recurring segment we do every week, Adam. The Double Redo. Double Redo. So the double redo is a thing that we do every episode where uh, basically we recommend each a good and uh, steer you away from a bad movie related to the topic. So Adam and I each have a good and a bad one that we're going to talk about for a bit related to summer camp comedies. 
And uh, I'm starting off here, and uh, the two that I have, one kind of is more in the horror comedy direction, my good pick, uh, but it's one that I love and I think is criminally underseen, is uh, The Final Girls, which is this movie uh, that's about a young woman who was dealing with uh, her mother had died the previous year, and she was a former Scream Queen actress. Her friends decide, like, you know what, hey, let's kind of, like, you know, celebrate your mom by going to a midnight screening of her movie, the sort of in the vein of Sleepaway Camp, one of those, like, Friday the 13th rip-off movies that would have come out in the early 80s. Let's go watch it, let's go celebrate her, and uh, while they're there, uh, they have this big magical circumstance that puts them in the movie. So they, like, travel magically into the actual movie and start interacting with the characters and whatnot, and uh, that includes, you know, uh, Tysa Formiga, who plays the main character, interacting with her mom, played by Malin Ackerman. And it's a very funny movie. It's very visually inventive. Um, I I think it's one of the like more consistent, especially like kind of spoofs of the horror genre I've seen in quite a while. Um, it's got a stellar cast with not just, like I mentioned, Tysa Formiga and Malin Ackerman are so good. you got Aaliyah Shawkat. Uh, you've got probably the rare, maybe only, time I've really enjoyed Adam Devine in a fucking comedy movie. I think he's very pretty stellar in it. Um, there's a lot of like really fun, inventive ways they play with like they're stuck in the movie and how like they kind of like work around that. Like the logic of the movie really makes sense in a lot of ways. And also more importantly, with all the like silly jokes and fun elements and genre parody stuff, there's also a real heart to the movie that really surprised me. Like I watched this originally at South by Southwest when it premiered and I was stunned watching it just how emotionally encompassing the big final turns are with uh, like that mother-daughter relationship it works really well it's a movie that's got like the whole package it's very funny it's very creative and it has a lot of heart to it in a way that i hope more people particularly if you're a big genre fan i would sincerely recommend checking that movie out and the bad one i have is one we kind of mentioned earlier um it's the movie that kind of started off the big craze of these movies uh meatballs which might be a bit controversial but i saw it recently for the first time and i don't necessarily hate meatballs i just think it's very fascinating as a movie that was a weird cultural touchstone despite the fact that there's obviously problematic stuff to it that's all throughout um but it also is just like kind of like very chill and lackadaisical as a comedy like when you watch some of the other things like an animal house other movies don't hold up i at least see where like okay those movies are very bizarre very over the top very like gag per minute thing in a way where i can see why this was entertaining in like the late 70s or whatever but meatballs is just kind of like this weird chill ride that doesn't have a lot of like really funny elements to it but also not really strong characters aside from bill murray who obviously like very early in his career was kind of the movie that put him on the map um, after like his SNL career but like this was the first big movie of his obviously has plenty of funny material in there he's obviously like the key funny person in it but some of the other people around him are not that interesting not that engaging and it has that kind of cheapness that we mentioned earlier about some of these other summer camp comedies but this one has it to a degree that just feels like it's kind of running thin even at like that's another one that's only about 90 minutes long or so but it's one of those comedies where even regardless of like tasteless jokes that are in there I just don't think it holds up even as like that much of an consistently fun comedy where I see why it was like so popular because it feels very much like I I guess you had to be there kind of thing. I mean, I agree with both your choices. I've seen both. Uh, Final Girls, I love, and I cannot agree with you more about Adam Devine. I, I do not like Adam Devine, but he's really good in this. Uh, by the way, we should emphasize the definite article because there's also a movie called Final Girls. It's very bad. Very bad horror movie. 
Oh, as opposed yeah. To oh, the that's Final Girls. That's a terrible movie. Yeah, right. The Final Girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good movie. Very sweet. Like you said, the mother-daughter thing is so delicately handled in a weird way of this time travel horror comedy, but it's handled so brilliantly well. Uh, but my shout-out is, man, Angela Trimber in this as yes. the sort of... The, the lack of a better term, I think they would call her that, but like she's the sex pot sort of camp counselor who all the guys want to get with, and she is so fucking funny. There's a whole scene that hinges on her like trying to like dance, get, yeah, right, trying to dance and like get like be sexually promiscuous in order to lure the killer out. Yes, it's, oh, it's so, so fucking, fucking funny. funny. Her physical comedic talents are just through the roof she's so good at this yes um i absolutely adore her this but yeah every everything else and i really love i i thought it was such a sweet charming movie and it is very criminally underseen uh but yeah it works on every level and uh meatballs it's funny you brought up animal house in relation because i completely agree i think animal house is very problematic but i still enjoy animal house because of how crazy and, and connected the movie is like it's it, it just keeps going like at the end with the parade and the in their 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 car that they built and all the shit that happens we were meatballs is this kind of one note and bland yeah like it's just sexual joke after sexual joke and oh and then it's kind of done i think you're 100 percent right where you might have had to be there for that one in the cultural osmosis because it does not hold up it is not that funny and i i can do without that one right i mean i can see why like if you saw in 1979 just like oh my god bill murray and he was on snl but he's amazing look at him just be yeah and then retrospect you go back like oh this is like bill murray at like a very like b c d t yeah absolutely absolutely which is still the funniest thing in that movie because there's not a lot else no yeah there's basically nothing else uh but yeah i absolutely agree uh so for my good pick I have uh, Ernest Goes to Camp. That movie's it's crazy, a lot of crazy shit, but man, Jim Varney in the first Ernest movie, he's so good. And what a great physical performance. I mean, just the facial structures, just... And the thing about Ernest, I know this sounds silly, but he was an Ernest character. He genuinely cared about the kids. He genuinely cared about the camp. He genuinely wanted to do a good job at everything. And he's just... Such a funny, funny presence on screen. And then when it gets to the end with the whole contraption they build and all that and the, the different the two cops who are out of their minds, it's just it's a very funny, funny movie to me. It's one of those that I saw as a kid and I've seen all most of the Ernest movies, maybe not all, because there was a lot of direct uh, you know, video ones that I I didn't bother with. But your favorite is Ernest Goes to Africa, clearly. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Very uh, and very delicate with the jokes. Very tasteful. <laughs> yeah, super tasteful. Um, much in the vein of like Ace Ventura when nature calls. Uh, but um, no, but Ernest Goes Camp, the first one, still the best one. It's super funny, super charming and cute. And like I said, it's a character you believe actually cares about what he's doing. Uh, for the bad, I have one. Uh, it's a sequel, big franchise. Uh, not the whole thing takes place in a camp, but a good chunk of it. I have American Pie 2. The reason it's my bad is, A, it takes all the jokes from the first one and just tries to retool them in a way. There's not much new here. And B, the stuff that actually takes place in the camp with the kids is borderline offensive. I mean, it's so close to being like disgusting that it doesn't work for me. Like, Granted, there's no necessarily kids involved. And a lot of the uh, sort of sexual hijinks, but it's happening right in front of them. I, it's just, it's not good. I mean, I'd argue 
the first America Pie is, it works for the time it came out, but all of its sequels have sort of faltered and and not been as good. And I mean, obviously. Um, and then let's not count the several direct-to-video versions like the Naked Mile and Bandcamp and all that. It's a retread of what we already seen. Like, oh, this worked. It was so funny. It made a lot of money. Nobody expected to. Let's just do it again in a different setting. And it's that classic sort of Hollywood banking on name alone. And it worked for them, made a lot of money. But for me as a viewer, it did not. More importantly, it uh, allowed Eugene Levy to, you know, just buy so much with how much money he made off that entire series. You know what? Cash in those checks, Eugene. God bless you. Yeah, you need eyebrow wax. (laughs) Of course, that's the main thing. (laughs) It's it's such a huge part of my budget. I need it. (laughs) Um, but I have not seen American Pie 2. I've only seen the original and American Reunion, which I actually, I watched American Pie like right before Reunion because I hadn't seen it before. And I only see like the original American Pie has like an earnestness to it that makes it a bit more endearing because they feel like actual awkward kids. Um, as opposed to, I've seen so many of like the bad ripoffs of American Pie that just don't even have an inch of that. And I'm assuming American Pie 2, based on what you said, doesn't have that necessarily. And then Ernest Goes to Camp, I know I've seen, it's been so long since I've seen most of those Ernest movies, but I distinctly more remember like the two holiday ones with like Scared Stupid and Christmas and then Ernest Goes to Jail. But I do have a real affection for like Jim Varney's Ernest, despite the fact that those movies are very dumb, quite frankly, and very like Super low dumb. budget, have so much like of that weirdness. But Varney is so, like you mentioned, committed to that part and is such a good actor that he makes like this dumb character very charming and, as you mentioned, very earnest. The importance of being Ernest P. Worrell is very clear in this movie. So I would definitely like to rewatch Ghost to Camp. It's been a long time. But Let's go ahead and uh, just quickly uh, shout out our titles again in case you missed them out there. Uh, my good pick was The Final Girls, and my bad pick was Meatballs. My good pick is Ernest Goes to Camp, and my bad pick is American Pie 2. And now we're going to get to the end of the show, and we'll be doing our picking for next week's episode at the end of this, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but first, we want to thank some people. Like We want to thank Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thorlally for our artwork. Follow him at Night of Water, that's night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, on Twitter and places like that for all his great artwork stuff. And uh, thanks to our supporters on Patreon, patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to uh, vote in polls for uh, topics that we do, like, for example, summer camp comedies you all picked so thank you for that and of course you all get to listen to bonus podcasts we put out like around the time this episode is coming out uh before the end of june we will have put out uh, our latest bonus podcast called television where adam and i basically recommend a show for the other one to start watching uh that has had like you know big success long running to some degree and uh, i will be watching for the first time mindhunter which i've started as of recent and adam will be watching succession for the first time which I have not started, but I need to because, you know, Brian Cox, one of my favorites. Oh, God. It's, 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 it's the show all the kids are talking about. They're doing the memes about succession. You got to be up on those memes. Yeah, right. That's, that's the main reason to watch it. Yes, to get all those dank memes. But for more of our own dank memes, uh, follow us at DEDBpod on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, also, uh, you can submit feedback to us either there or at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, for more of me, find me on Twitter and Letterboxes 
at not the who's Tommy. I also do some writing at marianithomas.wordpress.com and at film-cred.com. And you can find me on Instagram at atom or atom. That's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. And you can find me in my own personal Facebook at Adam Thomas. Uh, it's private, but send me a message, send me a friend request, whatever. Let me know you're a fan of the show. I'll add you. We can shoot the shit about movies. Will always be a good time. And then uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And more importantly, you can talk about Jonathan Tiersten pictures mm. all day with him. I have a wealth of screenshots. <laughs> I get them and they're the highlight of my fucking day every time it's I see It's the best. Them. It's the best. <laughs> Uh, for more of the best stuff, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, you want to listen to all the other great shows on the network. And you can also dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for all sorts of episodes we did long before we joined Talk Film Society. And nothing else, if you can't you know, support us monetarily on the Patreon, that's cool. Money can be tight. The completely free way to help us out, though, is to rate, review, or simply share the show around because that gets us more visibility. And you know what? We appreciate it. A lot of you guys do it, and it's great. I love it, except for you, Rafe. Even when you do it, I still want to punch you in the face. Oh, no. Yeah. Are you, are you going to curse him out like Jonathan Tiersten? Just like, you motherfucker Rafe, shit! you motherfucker shit eating <laughs> son of a bitch! Fuck you! Well, now, Adam, it's time we did our picking for next week's episode. Ruh-roh. And uh, as we usually do... At the end of every week, uh, you know, Adam and I each have two movies. One of us has two good movies. One of us has two bad movies. We switch up on that quality. And uh, we assign them between one and ten for each of our choices. And the other person picks number, and they're like, oh, I'm going to pick number five. And that is closest to one of our two picks. And uh, thus that gets us our good and our bad feature. Though keep in mind, we have the Godfather rule, where Adam and I each have a veto in our back pockets, just one single veto we have to use at some point between now and next May, when we get another veto for the year. Uh, we have to use it or lose it for this one. So if we hear, you know, oh, hey, let's end up getting close to this good pick, the one person has the option to say, you know what, I don't want to cover that movie. Actually, I'll take the cannoli, unless we have to go with whatever other choice is there. And next week, our topic is about an actress we've been wanting to do an episode on for a bit. Um, we really like her work, and uh, she's you know getting back into the superhero stuff with uh, Thor, Love, and Thunder. We have uh, Natalie Portman, who I am shocked came back to the Marvel Universe. Because based on, especially like the Thor, the Dark World, she seemed like, I'm fucking done. I'm very shocked she came back. That Marvel money, baby. She's got kids now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's... And she gets to work with Taika Waititi. He's like the guy now. So, I get it. Yes, of course. But, Adam, I have the two good picks. You have the two bad picks. So, for my two good picks, please pick a number between one and ten. All right, I'm going to go number six. Okay, that's closest to number seven. And number seven, um, I have a very interesting movie that she did um, that feels a bit outside of her wheelhouse, but I'm really glad that she did. It's a sort of interesting genre picture. I have Alex Garland's Annihilation. Oh, I love that movie. Uh, 
yeah, I'm not taking the cannoli on that. I, I think that's a solid, solid fucking movie. I've only seen it once. I cannot wait to revisit it. Well, on the other side of things, I have a movie that I think, you know, it was a bit divisive when it came out, even though it got a lot of Oscar play for her. But I think it's, it's a very good movie that uh, kind of got lost in the Oscar shuffle. I have her Oscar nominee in turn in Jackie over number two. Never seen it. Uh, not a biopic guy. That's why I never bothered. It's it's a lot less of a biopic, and it's more of just like a deep meditation on a woman who has lost so much. It's it's a very fascinating movie. All right. Okay. All right. But if you're two bad choices, Adam, hmm, I guess I'll go a bit on the opposite side of things. I'll go with number four. Okay. At number three, I have a movie that it's title enough. <laughs> it lets you know that it's not going to be good. I have Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. I honestly did not expect this. Huh. I mean, I haven't seen Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. Uh-huh. Um, I guess I won't take the cannoli on that. Whatever. Let's let's see how that goes. Sure. All I'll right. Do that. All right. <laughs> Damn it. What was your other choice? <laughs> Number 10. I had a movie that came out, I believe, two years ago that came out and then died a very quick death that I haven't seen, but looked weird. I have Vox Lux. That one I've heard very divisive things about. I've mm-hmm. heard very love it or hated kind of things. I would have been fascinated to see that, but okay. We'll go with Mr. Gorham's Wonder Emporium. You didn't it. Yeah, you fucked around. That's true. I didn't I didn't do the, the cannoli, but let, let, let's see the double feature of Annihilation and Mr. McGorham's Wonder <laughs> We'll get to that next time, everybody. But until then, uh, eat shit and live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>